Episode number 75. I can't pull that off. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Hello. Hey, we're back. Happy, happy coffee day. Havana Cafe, happy coffee day. Indeed it is. Have we missed International Coffee Day? When's that going to be? Every, every listen, day is gotta, coffee day, Clay. I know every day is coffee day, but we have to make a special allowance when we have International Coffee Day. If anybody knows what International Coffee Day is, please let us know. So I want to be prepared for it, okay? Plus, we've got an upcoming celebration here, 24-mile episodes, and we'll be on 100. We'll be a century old, which will be fantastic as well. And I'm just going to do a quick, quick, quick plug uh, just to remind people that we are on our social media spaces like Facebook, which we hold discussions and things like that. So make sure you head over there on the Facebook page. We got a, Do we have a group now? We have a Facebook yep. group now as well. So yep. get which into it, that space. If you join the group, it actually gets into your feed. Yeah, so that would it. be sort of the advantage of joining that is that then if you want to see stuff from us. Yeah, so you're not subject so much to the algorithm type thing. And we're also on Twitter connect with us there and you do some great stuff over at instagram as well like i like like the very last post you did with the computer thingy yeah yeah which are graphical I'm wizardry get, I'm, getting, I'm getting snazzy now <laughs> you are you're getting all snazzy on me with the graphic stuff um so yes by all means check us out on any of those sort of platforms and we're on itunes so subscribe there so that the havana cafe goes straight into your iPod and into your I said iPod do they still have iPods I do so your phone or whatever most people are listening on the phone maybe you just put your age in there yeah maybe um, and in fact they discontinued the iPod now haven't they the old silver classic one who, knows? who needs an iPod yeah exactly get our iPhones now iPhones so we can go straight into your ear which That's is ironic because you're like technology man and I'm like but I have, latest like, I last love adopter. my I think that's the worst decision ever that they discontinued the old classic iPod because I have my whole music collection on there the new ones you can't put yeah, that true. much music so it's like yeah that's just a shame so I'm I'm dreading the day that the battery thing gets to the point where it's unusable from my iPod I'm not going to be a happy man alright we need to get into the show don't we well <laughs> It's interesting to think about all this technology because we've just read um, Walden by uh, not Henry. just reread, but reread. This is probably my fiftieth reading uh, of this book. But yes, we've just recracked open the book of Walden. As you can see, my copy is heavily loved, loved with all its different times that I've read. So I got different color highlights in it, just for the different iterations that I've gone through the book and find something what was the did, did anything stand out for you differently this time um i don't think anything stood out differently this time but it probably and it's, it's interesting that you chose this because we didn't think about it beforehand but it was you texted me that probably well not probably you did when you texted i was just in that kind of space that kind of mood and that kind of place that i usually return back to reading through mm. And okay. so that was just, that yeah, was almost like... Yeah, now you're going to build a cabin in the woods, I hear. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, because it's almost freaky that you sent that and that I was thinking that. So it was quite an independent Yeah, well, I came across um, a quote that I hadn't uh, kind of remembered before because I'm on uh, Tim Ferriss's, um, like, newsletter-y thing. And he wrote, what did he write? 
he was he has a quote he contemplates each week. Uh, if I can find it, the cost of a thing is the amount of what I will call life, which is required to be exchanged for it immediately or in the long run. And so that sort of was just such a beautiful way of capturing what I'm actually trying to do with my novel as well, which is talk about, you know, there's all of this qualitative stuff that can't be quantified and so doesn't get recognized in this world of, you know, we're, we're sort of the... Consumer society Yeah, stuff. that's right, where everything has to have a value that's money value and a number attached to it. So, you know, yeah, I, I've just been thinking a that, lot that about quote, it. Is that um, when you invest in a thing, when you buy a thing, then that thing has a cost to it, a life cost to it in a sense. And I think we yeah. buy goods, yeah. and then those goods need to continue to be fed. So you buy a car, a fancy car, and you got to get the insurance, you got the upkeep, so it keeps needing more maintenance, essentially more money and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah. right. And I think even, you know, I remember, you know, just thinking about this today, I remember when I first, you know when you got your first job? Yeah. And suddenly money became a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> because you start, started to go into the mall or and just whatever. And that's when they got you. And, and you get yeah, sucked into the were, machine. Well, no, no. But I remember having this sort of realization that was like, oh, now I need to calculate how many hours I need to work in order to afford that. Wow, that's a whole different calculation than when mom and dad just hand you money, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. And so when you start to do that calculation, like how many hours of work do I need to put in? But see, you're still sort of floating outside the real economy in, in that time in your life because you're only really you know, trying to buy... But your propensity Stop. to spend increases with the amount of money you get. Because in that same scenario, I was thinking there was a time when I could live off of $34 a month. I could never live off of $34 a month now. So it was like, well, what did I do then that allowed me to subsist on $34 a month? And how much more stuff now that I've accumulated that $34 isn't enough anymore to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to live off of. And I think that's what happens when you get a job. Like we talked last how week. How old about, are you, Clay? I'm an ancient <laughs> dude. <laughs> we talked last week about um, yeah, the, our sons and daughters and stuff getting, getting into the real world. Yeah. And one of the things that I think for um, young folks coming out of university, before they go off and start exploring and stuff, they get the job. And then once they start, like my, my son's girlfriend has a job at Dragula Land Rover, right? So now suddenly she's got more money than she's ever had. And, I, and they have these big plans of traveling. And I was like, you ain't going nowhere. Because <laughs> once you start, what are you buying? It's like you start buying things and, and then you, and need you to, go. Yeah, yeah, you and need then you got to keep, keep feeding it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway. And so it um, begins. Yeah, no, that's right. So, yeah, I was quite interested then to sort of get back into reading this because, in a way, mm. that is a really beautiful and very, you know, when you read books, I mean, that's, this is why Walden remains a classic, is that it, he sort of is able to express so beautifully and succinctly all these sort of ideas that we have a sense of, but we can't quite... You know, I find it really hard sometimes to um, look beyond, you know, the lenses that we've been given in our yeah. lives, you know? So it's, it's really nice to, to kind of have someone help you step out of that and go, hmm... So you asked me a question um, during the week on Messenger about what did the book mean to you? So, mm -hmm. and 
and I think I said there were several for me, but I'll ask you, at least for one of yours now, what, what's one of the highlights or things that stand out to you that the book has meant to you or changed your way of thinking or, or what, what have you? I think um, this time, coming back to it, for me, reading this is really... It's like, I, I feel like we're living in this world and we're sort of continually getting fed all of these messages. I mean, even just like walking down the street, you know, you're walking down the street and you see a bunch of people wearing nice clothes and you're, you're getting this fed, this subtle message that you also need nice clothes and you need to have these fashions. Or, you know, you, I find a lot of people, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but his, his whole thing about the news I found really interesting. And we have this idea that we need to keep up with all of what's going on in the world and the news. But what that often means is like these crazy random things that happen that the media has picked out as something that they think that will entertain us. And, you know, you sort of, it's really hard to keep your center. So even though I go back to this book and I'm like, yeah, this isn't telling me anything that I don't genuinely believe in mm. terms of like, if we simplify our lives, things get easier, you know? But I think it's a constant battle because even when it's not our intention, even when that's not where our real values lie, we're getting so much external feeding, feeding, feeding of the stuff that, you know, everyone around us is sort of subtly saying we need, then, you know, it's really, you know, I feel like it, it is hard. You have to, you know, it's like, it's like the spring cleaning, you know, how many times in your life do you go through your closets yeah. and have to just throw shit away again? And it's, you know, it's sort you of You just a, made us X-rated, Justin, didn't you? I know. So, um, I you know, I, I think that it, it, it feels a little bit like that, that you continually have to kind of come back to these ideas because the other way is so strong. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. When you said that simplifying one, there's a quote, I believe, in here, and I can't find it right now, where I think he wrote to uh, Emerson that the secret here, or not the secret, but the simplify, simplify, simplify is what he said three yeah, times. Yeah, that's right. And I think Emerson's... Um, reply back was that he just needed the one simplify. <laughs> but I thought, yay. That's I think that's funny. one of the big things that I've taken away from this book. One of my major points from it is um, simplifying your life and focusing on the things that matter, whatever that means to you. And, and generally, that's the that sort of um, contemplative internal connection with what's around you in terms of life, the observation and connection I think with life itself as opposed to getting tied up with goods and services and things like that like you mentioned fashion and I know Thoreau in his book talks a lot about fashion and we've come to you know you could get by with just normal clothes and then patch them up and they get holes in it but then if you wear that when you go out to society then that automatically labels you and puts you into a place that says well this person doesn't have enough money or, you know, he's, he's low on the totem pole if he's wearing jeans or trousers with patches on it. And so people's habit is, even though it's easy to put a patch on and keep wearing it, actually I need to earn some more money so I can get a new pair of trousers, even though there's nothing wrong with this trouser that I couldn't sew up. But then I would portray something else if I'm wearing patched jeans. 
or having you know the you know if I buy a fancy coat versus a a scrub coat, it becomes a I self-identifier in terms of where you sit yeah. in this sort of social status, and then people put a lot of energy into getting more money so they can buy these even with the fashion aspect, so that I as you were mentioning like you walk down the street and you see people with different fashions and you feel like you have to have that same fashion to fit in and I suspect it's probably harder on younger people when you're at that space of needing to fit in with your peers because I managed to forego that and I think it was mainly because I was much of an independent thinker even when I was younger so I never got into what the latest fashion was I, I didn't even know I just I needed some jeans, I needed some yeah, yeah. some sneakers, and care what they were. Even though you could get teased mercifully if you didn't have the right sneakers, I didn't care. And then people also didn't dare to tease me. So I didn't have that kind of pressure to conform by wearing what people were wearing so that I could fit in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the thing is that we're only fed a really small part of the bigger picture in the story we're fed, you know, about stuff, hmm. which is here's the stuff, it's going to make things funner and easier. Yeah, make stuff funner and easier. Because the Thoreau even says some stuff about like a house. Like it it's almost a, becomes a prison when you take on a mortgage because now you're yeah. confined into that, well, whatever size square you're in, but then the upkeep and the maintenance and yeah. all of that then becomes, you know, your, <laughs> your, your prison in a sense. Which yeah, that is, yeah, basically, yeah, totally. So, um, you know, he, yeah, he basically, one of the things that was like a, a main theme that I took out of it was how much this urge for more stuff and, and more in general, more money and more, more meaning bigger house, all this kind of stuff becomes a burden. So he talks like about how, what a shame it is when people inherit land and big houses and big estates. Mm, it like, becomes like a shackle on get them. the shackles automatically, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of very counterintuitive to the way that we're told about things, you know? And, and the way that we're told that what does it mean when someone's rich and someone's poor? You know, mm. those kind of, the way that we make those judgments is very skewed, I think, towards obviously the material rather than you know time and spiritual or nature or all these other things that you cannot put a price tag on yeah. very easily um, so yeah I'll read you uh, <laughs> my favorite quote that I read you for a second ago this is the thing that made me laugh because you know it's like you know you're reading this classic and then you sort of hear people just go, oh, whatever, forget it. I'm just going to say it how it is. Yeah. You know, like yeah. they just, you know, you're kind of like going through this very, like, you know, stately argument, very, very refined argument. And then they have this sentence that's just like, oh, you know what? And it just drops all pretensions. And he says, um, you know, he's talking about, about these big houses and all this stuff that people have and feel like they need to impress other people or to make their homes nice. Not even to impress other people, to yeah. make their homes feel nice to them. And he says, I wonder that the floor does not give way under the visitor while he is admiring the gigaws on the mantelpiece and let him through into the cellar to some solid and honest though earthly foundation. I cannot but perceive that this so-called rich and refined life is a thing jumped at. 
I love, I love that. I just had this image of him sort of being shown around the, the stately homes and admiring the gigas on the I like it. The gigas. <laughs> what the heck is a giga anyway? <laughs> but you know exactly. <laughs> it's just such a perfect, like, sound word that. Yeah, yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, um, let's give it a, take a quick break. And then when we come back, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the transcendentalism and that sort of connecting with nature aspects. I think that's another big thing that I took away from yeah, cool. this whole Thoreau stuff. Cool. The Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was created to carve out space for contemplation in the middle of our busy week. Inspired by the very ancient idea that wisdom and principles of conscious living can be found through conversation, Clay and I started meeting over coffee at the Havana Cafe. From these meetings, the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was born, and as an independent podcast, it is supported by listeners like you. Here's how you can help us support the show and continue taking time to explore the big questions in our lives. First and most importantly, you can share the podcast with friends on Facebook, Instagram, or old school, like talking to your friends. Ha <laughs> ha. Leave a review for us on iTunes, or you can support the show for as little as a couple of pounds or dollars a month. That's less than the coffee you are drinking right now while listening to this show by going to havanacafesessions.co.uk and hitting that contribute button. Hope you're enjoying this episode, and thanks again for listening. All right, welcome back. So one of the things that, um, that I liked about Thoreau and this book in particular, and even though he didn't necessarily self-identify as a transcendentalist, but he did a lot of his writing, um, was published in a transcendental journal. Uh, but I, I think he didn't necessarily self-identify in that way. Um, unlike Emerson, I guess, in that mm-hmm. sort of space. But this, oops, <laughs> this whole idea of returning back, that wh- whatever the things that we need to learn and the things that are important, the things that make us human and who we are, that we can find those in nature and we don't have to depend on some outside force other than that. So, you know, we talked about spirituality um, a couple episodes ago. It was the last episode. Last week, yeah. Last, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the place that the transcendentalist would tell you is to go take a walk and then you can connect with whatever entity that you needed to connect with in that sort of sense. And Thoreau, uh, when he was going out to the woods, and he lived there for two years, he went. He wanted to see how self-sufficient he could be. Um, so he got this plot of land from uh, Emerson, it was on Emerson's land that he built this cabin, um, and he spent two years living in this way. And he says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach me and not when I came to die to discover that I had, that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life, living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck all of the marrow out of life, to live so sturdily and spartan-like as to put to root all that was not life, to cut a broad swathe and to shave close, to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms. Which is... um, I don't know if that's a fantasy that you have, but I've always had the fantasy of going out and just living quite that 
simply. More and more it, it appeals. It never had appealed mm. to me before, but more and more I think it appeals mm. to me. I think what, what struck me about that quote is it's like an attitude of experimentation mm. and the recognition that we don't, we have lost touch with what is essential. Yes. We don't even know. We can speculate, but we are actually really out of touch with what is necessities. Yeah. What are the life necessities? And he goes on, and I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm quite attached to my heating being from Florida. Ah, yeah. But, you know, he talks a lot about how actually even fire, even warmth oh, yeah, within absolutely. a house, we yeah. have that in us. And if you put clothes on, then your internal fire heats you. So I think, it, you know, it's sort of an interesting experiment in stripping everything back in a yeah. way. Because I've known, you know, some of the times when I've felt most connected in one with self or however you want to describe that experience where I, um, you know, was when I did the Camino, which I've talked about on the podcast before and being out, and that was very close to nature in the sense that you were out on this path and pretty much for eight hours a day, you're just walking the Camino. You know, you stop for, have some bread and some uh, very, very simple lunch. Um, and you just live very simply basically. And because I was stripped away from the everyday life back here in the UK, that life became very simple. It just became about getting up, making sure I had enough water, making sure I had some bread and some sausage or whatever to eat for lunch, and then just walking. And I think, but I think that people's experience of life becoming simple is really nowadays only that. It's when you go on sort of quote-unquote holiday or vacation or mm. something and you leave your like, real Ordinary life. life, and life I, yeah. Exactly, and I think that it's interesting to think about, you know, Thoreau saying, actually, in real life, when you have to have a house and support a house and, and feed yourself, what kind of life do you need to support yourself? Yeah. How much money do you actually need? How much do you actually need to work if you don't want all this stuff? And what is all this stuff, you know? So, I mean, that's the other beautiful thing about Walden, like you're saying, is, you know, his description of the value he placed on the times he was able to just watch the pond yeah. and, and the value he placed on listening to the birds and being in the woods and, you know, watching the snowfall as he chopped down the tree and, you know, just all it's these a, a really beautiful, A lot of people in nice Western things. society would think that that's wasting time. If he were to say, I sat all day and just yeah. stared at frogs, I think he did once, he just stared at some frogs. Yeah. In most people's minds today, especially if you're a grown man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be like, well, what? Watching frogs, isn't there something you don't even have enough to do or isn't there something more productive you can be doing than sitting and watching frogs all day? And, you know, I think one of the other things, too, that I like that he says is that not everyone wants to do that. Mm. You know, people have different interests in nature and different interests in all kinds of things. And he's basically, at, at another point, goes into this whole thing about how he doesn't recommend this particular path yeah. for everyone, that he's like, everyone needs to find their own path, but that is the point, yeah. to find your own path. He is, let me see, I have, the, I have the quote, of course, in all my thousands of notes. <laughs> he says, I desire that there may be as many different persons in the world as possible. But I would have each one be very careful to find out and pursue his own way, not his father's or his mother's or his neighbor's instead. Yeah. So 
Yeah. No, I think that was interesting. And because um, not everyone wants to watch frogs, but that's yeah. not that's sort of not the point. That, that, absolutely, yeah. definitely not not the point. And the sense that people try and put you into the space as yeah. opposed to let you sort of watch the the frogs. And there's a there's a story he tells in the beginning as well, in in, in that. You know, we were talking about getting goods and stuff like that and getting a job to make more money to buy stuff. And he said he had lived his life to see how little he could work to need yeah. to have. So, um, and I think he tried being a productive member of society in quotation marks <laughs> for a while, but found that this is the very same thing. was like, okay, well, actually, what do, what's the minimum I need to do yeah. to sustain the kind of life that... I, is it I acceptable? Yeah, yeah, for me, totally. yeah, for him, as he said, yeah. just for me. What's the minimum that yeah. I need, regardless of what other people and, you know, think I re- about me? I really life. find this in, in teaching yoga more and more. It's something that I'm thinking about because our whole mentality now is always towards more. So even you know when people come to me and they're really stressed out, their their natural like where they think the solution lies in do, is in doing something else mm. rather than thinking, what can I stop doing? You know, so do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, no, so it's good. like, you know, there's always like a, what can I do to not be stressed? What can I do? And a lot of times, you know, I think coming to yoga is about learning how to slow your mind down and all that kind of stuff. But so it is, it is a learning to not do, but you know, as, as talking to, you know, my best friend and, you know, just it, it, this is just like such an experience constantly for me, particularly with my two boys and stuff. You sort of get wrapped up in all these activities and stuff. And then at some point I, I have to kind of do a clear out, like a spring clean of my life in terms of activities. It's like, what do, what, what do we need to do? And yeah. what do we really not need to do? And so I'm really, like, very careful about after-school activities and stuff because it's just too much. When you're always having to be somewhere, it is really, really stressful. And the, the solution is not to do more. The solution is to do less, and we really don't know how to do that. Yeah, I think It's really, really hard. Tough. And we don't, you know, when we think of simplicity, it's, it's very, it's easier to think in terms of goods and wanting less stuff, but also we need to do less, I this, think. This was a quote, I think, that fits nicely with that, where he says that um, you're rich in proportion to the number of things in which he can... A person is rich in proportion to the number of things which he can afford to let alone. Mm. Mm. Which I think is... Um, which is great, and, and, the, and that's tagged on to the fact that if you can also let go of needing public approval, because a lot of times we live a certain lifestyle, that attempt to or aspire yeah. to acquire more goods so that we have a favorable um, public opinion. In fact, it says public opinion is a weak tyrant um, that kind of lords over us in that. No, that he says space. public opinion is a weak tyrant compared to oh, so our, our private, own private opinion. opinion. Exactly, yeah. and so yeah. exactly Which kind of feeds into. Well, I find this all the yeah. time too. Definitely, that our expectations of ourselves yeah. and what we think other people expect of that's us it, is way different than what yeah. they actually expect. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I think that's and and this, the funny thing is that most people are so wrapped up in their own world that they're actually not thinking about you. I know they? exactly, and you yeah. know I. I 
just had this the other day because there's a yoga class that um I really felt like wasn't fitting it. It was just one thing too many. It was a mm. morning class. I kind of split up the day. And I didn't want to let other people down. So it was a really hard, it sounds really silly, but we get wrapped up in these yeah, little yeah. silly things about if I, if I drop this class, then these people are going to be really disappointed because I'm, you know, that's their morning exercise thing and, you know, whatever. And then at the end of the day, when I actually just said, look, this is what I need to do. I'm sorry, you know, whatever. Everyone's actually really understanding and everyone's got so much other stuff going on. They're just like, well, you know, fine, whatever. Yeah. You know? No, so, no, we, you know, good. it is. I've, I've it found is really myself like um, recently, in the last couple of weeks or so, we we're thinking about, uh, on this very same thing, because sometimes you're doing things and you're thinking about what other people around you are thinking and even strangers. Mm. And then I was just thinking, most of the people that you meet in a day, like you see and walk by or even say hi to, um, for the most part, you may never, ever see that person again in your life. So just think about, think about the number of people you've met this week or interacted with for a brief period that your chances are will never, ever see them again in your life. And then, so why even bother what they would be, they would think of you or what opinion that they might form of you? Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you know, and that's a weird thing to think of. I'm just thinking, how many people... Have I come into vicinity with, and maybe we glanced and said hi, but I would never ever. I mean, there's people I spent some time with this week in the in a, a training room kind of conference thing, and I'll probably never see a lot of those people ever again. That was our one interaction in this whole of this life yeah, yeah. that we are going to our paths intersect, and then I'll never see them again, which is quite. Hope you set them on their way. Yeah, no, I mean... With a smile on their face. It's just such a weird old thing, I think. Yeah. yeah, Wow, never see that person again. I think this is the thing, though, that that I really liked about reading Walden. It's like this call to simplify life in more than just... So, you know, he starts out with all the material goods. Mm. and, And, you know, like we've said before. And, and goes, and then goes into all, you know, goes into let go of all the stuff that you think people are judging you about. Mm. Just let it go. Let go of all the kind of, um, I don't know, you know, lots of mental stuff. You know, all kinds of mental stuff. I like that as a thing to sort of seize on this. Just let go of all of that stuff. Let go of what people think, their opinions, all that. Just let let go of it. Yeah, no, I think, but you know, then there was another thing that I was like, wow, this is so topical. It's his whole thing about the news. Mm. So he talks all about the news, and I'll read, I'll read the quote. But um, he's one of the things he starts off with is, "Our life is frittered away by detail," and I think this is another way that we sort of clutter our lives. So not just with stuff, not just with activities, not just with our thoughts about other people and what they think of us and what we should do, but also these days with the news. Oh my goodness, you could just constantly be caught up in the drama of the news and he has this great way and you know more and more I think I and I see this in other people too people are just getting so tired of the dramatization of the news and what is you know President Trump done this day or what has this person done this day or you know who's who's had an accident and mm. where part of the and UK social media what? probably exacerbates that as well oh, yeah. think about how 
how much that has come into the equation. Totally. But, and, you know, more and more I sort of turn away from the news, but there is this expectation that we're supposed to be well-informed. But then my question is, what does that mean? And what I think it means for a lot of people unknowingly is that they're up to date on this sort of random minor thing that happened, or not, not necessarily a minor thing for, the, for that person, but, you know, so, so anyway, let me read this. Let me, let me go to Thoreau because yeah. he's more articulate than me. He says, after a night's sleep, the new, um, so someone goes to sleep and then when they wake up, they say, pray, tell me any news, what has happened in the globe? And then he reads his coffee and rolls. And he reads that a man has had his eyes gouged out this morning on the Wachita River. And then he, re- you know, he goes on, he's like, and then he reads that if one man got robbed and another murdered or someone had an accident or someone's house burned down or this happened or that happened, we only need to read these things once. We never need to read of another. One is enough. If you're acquainted with the principle, what do you care about the myriad of instances that it happens? To a philosopher, all news, as it is called, is gossip. And they who edit it and read it are women over their tea, which is, we'll just move on past yeah, that. We'll move past that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, I, I think that for me, that really sort of resonates with the sort of gossipy nature of the news these days and all the sort of like, oh, this person's, you know, like in the summer, you have these stories of these terrible accidents on the sea or, you know, and it's like, I don't know. There's part of me that like, of course, your heart goes out to people. But is this news? Is this the kind of detail? Well, like s- that, like celebrity news, like who's oh, divorced, yeah, well, who and married, who or sleeping with who and all of that sort of stuff. But it's like, you know, it brings me back to the point of our podcast, Mm -hmm. which is like, we need to step back. I feel the need and, you know, we both feel the need to step back from life and and do this kind of reading the news, like read Walden, Mm. think about your life. That's the kind of being educated about the world that I want to be. And I think there's a balance though, isn't it? I think, because I have a, a, um, like, I don't like... As news as you describe it there, so I'm not so interested in local news and the like, but I kind of like, um, I suppose, the world affairs or those sorts of spaces or current events or so things that we need to be thinking about in relationship to how they affect humans' life, that sort yeah. of thing, but in yeah. a balanced way as well. So some yeah. people are only fixated in one point of view. And then they take that as gospel. Even even the way that news is presented now in terms of that, you mm. know, so policies and things that are going to affect us, you know, now we have all this stuff going on constantly about Brexit or, you know, just all these like different big changes that, yeah, you, you know, we do sort of need to know what's mm. going on and, and think about them. But I think even then we're encouraged by the way that the news is presented to be mired down in the detail and not see bigger pictures and not remember what happened two, two days ago or a month ago or a year ago or how this all began. We sort of are, there's so much detail thrown and drama that there's sort of this like tendency to forget. The, do you see what I mean? Which is why I think people don't remember what happened two years ago or what happened five years ago. It's like everything is just brand new each moment. You're making me remember something one of the paparazzi said, and this is a counter-argument to this, because, and maybe this is a whole other podcast. What is it 
in humans that makes us want to look at the news. So the, this paparazzi guy says, mm. I, I wouldn't take these pictures if people didn't want to look at them, but because there's a demand for them, I take them. Our inventions are wont to be pretty toys, which distract our attention from hey, serious don't know. things. Hey, now, now we're getting in dangerous territory because I like my toys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, that, I think that's the thing, though, is when you couple all these things together and you couple the fact that people are actually working really, really hard and at jobs that aren't necessarily satisfying, and then these feelings pop up, there's an equal need to distract ourselves from those feelings, isn't there? Yeah, and maybe that's the trap that we get into. So you're doing something and then I need some kind of escapism, some form of entertainment, something to take me away so that I don't have and to you focus know, on my day-to-day It's very, I don't know, again, I feel like I'm sort of flying a bit, like off of Walden, but, you know, the way that these details are expressed is it's easy to sort of just get caught up in them and... and you know what psychologists would call sort of project anger that you feel in your life mm. about like a situation that you feel powerless to change onto news events or onto whatever and then you can just get really riled up about that instead because it's somehow a safer thing Do so you know if we mean? were to transport ourselves back to Walden. Walden and Thoreau one of the things that he suggests or he talks about is is going for these really long walks. And like mm. he knew every nook and cranny of the fields and stuff of where he was at. And as a practice, I think for You're modern a big person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would throw this out to the listeners as well if, to connect with some of these things that Thoreau is um, hinting at here in Walden is, yeah, just, just go for a long walk, hour and a half, two hour walk with no particular objective so don't think about oh, I'm going to do this for fitness or just simply to walk and see where that journey takes you um, mentally as well I mean there's always the physical emotion and stuff like that but where does it where do you go and that mental journey over those two hours when you're out away from everything and just out with nature again yeah, yeah. which is one of the things I love about it uh, my latest one, I was up in Cadiz, just and I love it the, this time of the year because there's not a lot of people out, and so I had all. Is Cadiz one of the Monroes? Um, no, Monroes are further up. Three thousand uh, feet. Would you? It's uh, a foot. It's a. It's a. Do we have Monroes down in here? Is that yeah, just I think a so. Scotland thing? I no, thought. No, no. Okay, I didn't realize it's that. It's a. Way. It's a height thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it is. It's one of. It's not that much smaller than Snowden um, in terms of height-wise. Um, but I love the... Imp- I love all that space and no people around, which yeah. is what... That's what I love. It's like, wow. Yeah. I have this whole big expanse of nothing and it's... Yeah, I told me. you that my older son, who's six, we were doing this sort of book um, that's called Just Imagine and there's a whole front picture about where you'd want to go. So they have a little city and they yeah. have the desert and they have the beach and it's all sort of an image... And you just talk about where you're going to go. And he's like, I can't live in the city. Finley needs space. I need to go to a desert <laughs> island. Deserted island, sorry. I was like, yeah, that's right about like him, too. He needs Finley his space, too. Finley needs <laughs> This Finley third needs person space. was like, yeah. All right, so if you were summing but up. There, but then that's a, that's a Thoreau thing, too, isn't it? Space is something that maybe is more of a necessity than gigas. Yeah, no, I get it. And summary, in summary for you, as we wind this down, what would you 
Sure. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And I'll just go simplicity. Okay. <laughs> Good. This episode of the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast is brought to you by people just like you, wonderful listeners. So thank you very much. If you have a spare second and you want to click over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or just some stars, that really helps us out a lot and helps other people find us who might enjoy the show. And if you would like to contribute to the show, then you can contribute as little as a pound an episode or less than a coffee an episode. Um, If you head over to HavanaCafeSessions.co.uk and click on the contribute button, you'll find all kinds of different ways that you can help us out. Thank you so much if you have already contributed in some way or if you're thinking about contributing and really even just telling other people who you think might enjoy the podcast or um, joining in the conversation is very, very helpful. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sarah Hunt, and on behalf of Clay Lowe, goodbye, and we'll see you next week.